the Making Sense of Life podcast number 56. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja, as we try and explore what it makes what it means to make sense of life in an increasingly challenging and complex world. One of those areas of increasing challenging complexity is in the whole area of religious faith. Many people know that Christianity is the largest religion in the world, with more people professing faith in Christ than any other faith. But what is less well known, and certainly not talked about very much in our mainstream media, is how those people who profess faith in Christ are also the most persecuted and most ignored group as well. Often we hear, hear about um, people being killed or martyred around the world, but very rarely do we hear that they're martyred or killed or being persecuted because of their faith in Christ. Now, my special guest today is a person who's has got, got a great interest and passion in this subject, uh, and that is uh, Patrick Sikdea. Patrick, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much. Patrick, if you don't know, is the director of the Institute for the Study of Islam and Christianity. He's also the international director to Barnabas Fund. Uh, that's an international, interdenominational Christian charity that, that supports Christians who face discrimination and persecution because of their faith. It was established in 1993 and channels aid to projects run by national Christians in more than 60 countries around the world. It also campaigns particularly uh, for the abolition of the Islamic apostasy laws uh, around the world as well. Patrick keeps himself busy. You've written more than 33 books. Yes. And you are married to Rosemary with three grown-up daughters. So it's, it's, it's a real privilege to have you and to thank you for doing this interview with us. Thank you so much yeah. for having so, me. So yeah. I just want to start in terms of getting your background and just talking about uh, about your personal life in terms of, of, uh, of marriage to, to Rosemary and, and family as well. But let's start. You're from British Guyana, and you were born in 1947. Yeah. And I thought fascinating is that your father was a Hindu who married uh, a Muslim lady and converted to Islam. And you grew up in a home that that combined a lot of religious talk. And yeah, yes, it did that. because uh, you have to look really at the history of the South Asians in Guyana uh, following the end of slavery. Britain needed. Uh, workers to man their sugarcane industries and so Chinese, Portuguese and then Indians were brought over. But the Indians came from a variety of backgrounds. And this would be in the end this would be the end of the nineteenth century, beginning of twentieth century. That's correct. Yeah. But the end of slavery was much, much earlier. Yeah. Uh, my background is an unusual one because my mother's side were Pashtuns from the Northwest Frontier 
And my name is actually Shamshe Khan. And uh, in those days, if your husband, who was a soldier, was killed in battle, then the wife would be handed over or passed on to her, his uh, to his brother. Right. Which is what happened. But there was another aspect. If it's a son, he would also go with the mother uh, to the brother. Right. And she'll be another wife. But if it's with a daughter, she'd be killed. Ooh. So great grandmother refused to have her daughter, my grandmother, killed. Wow. So somehow she made her way as a single woman with a little child uh, to Delhi. From Delhi she went to Calcutta, and from Calcutta she took a boat to the UK. No, sorry, to Guyana. To Guyana. And uh, she died. So grandmother uh, uh, arrived, and she married very young in the plantations. My grandfather, we think she was six and he was about eight. Oh my goodness. So there yeah. was that yeah. aspect of continuity. Yeah. And she became a very fervent Muslim, very, very right. strong. Then my mother comes along and uh, I've never shared these things before. She was 16, asked to marry a man over 48, 50. Mm. She married him and ran away. Wow. So as she was pregnant so now there's honor and shame in the family now to save the honor they had to find someone to marry her too and no muslim would so they found a hindu so mm. she then married a hindu but he had to convert to islam wow so yes. he became uh, a muslim yeah. name to just uh, just to marry your mother just to marry my mother yes and so hence the reason why it was a mixed marriage but an islamic one and in that context, with a lot of intermingling of, of the religious yeah. ideas and faith, so you, so you were brought up with a mixture of Hindu and Muslim teachings and things Correct. like that. Correct, because part of my relatives were Hindu and very religious, so we spent time with them. But my a very orthodox Muslim grandmother made sure we attended mosque. So I started. How do you hold that in your in your mind? How do you hold that? Well, we. This is this interesting thing about South Asians from a background. We are paradoxical. We have the ability to hold contradictory things together. And Guyana in those days was multiracial, multicultural. We had no hate. Yeah. We grew up in an environment like Hindus. You celebrated Pagwa. Everybody covered themselves with this red dye. Yes. When you come to eat, everyone did that. So I went to a mosque. So you just followed along with what, what, followed what, along. Along with whatever was going uh, on. And to, there was tremendous tolerance. You see, the mullah who taught me a Quran. Because you went to a madrasa, didn't you, as well? Oh, yes, we were all attached to the, to the, to the mosque. He was, had no hate. No Muslim imam would he teach hate. He taught you how to pray, how to understand Islam, and how to be good. So I grew up in an environment of great religious tolerance and where all religions had no extremism. Yeah. So Everyone you just look you after each other. So you just treat each other as human beings. As human beings, beings with common interests and, yeah. and common although we had separate religions yes. which we identified with. Yeah. We we did not reach out and force people or no. attack or criticize. And it's just fascinating and, and so you had this kind of yeah, Hindu, Muslim kind of, it, in your own mind, just, you know, just, just going it, along with it, basically. It was, and there was a third dimension, because father, who had working, at the, he was young, and he was working uh, as a, a breaker of bricks, you know, stones on the roadside. Okay. As he was, uh, the chap next door to him, 
as he hit the stone, a splinter went into his eye. Right. So my father took this man, my father was very young, about 18, to the overseer who was white and says, look, you've got to pay him compensation. And the overseer said, no, we're not going to do it. So my father led everybody out on strike. Oh, he was quite a, he's quite a leader uh, then. And yeah. that led him to become political with the trade unions. Yes. He was then associated with Jagan, who was our first uh, prime minister, who they said was a Marxist. Okay. Jagan's wife uh, was the daughter, well, her uncle was the chairman of the American Communist Party, and she was Jewish. Wow. And he was the last person to be hanged, uh, you know, for that political thing mm -hmm. in America. My mother says when I was dying, because we had no food or milk, Janet Jagan gave me the milk okay. in the hospital that kept me alive. How old were you at that point? I was a baby. Just as a baby, and okay. My, she taught my father to drive a lorry uh, so he could uh, ha have a job and he would do his politics. As I, I grew up, I would accompany him on his... Uh, political okay, uh, escapades, es escapades. So uh, I was kept alive by a Jewish uh, communist. <laughs> I came from a Muslim background and a Hindu background and shaped by all of them. Wow, they say God works, works in mysterious ways and that's an illustration of that yeah. as well. So you obviously, you, your family left British Guyana to, to yeah. come to the UK yeah. in the 1950s. 1959. 59, okay, just at the end. I ought to explain my father kept being arrested by the British oh, right. and my mother he spent time in prison so my mother said you've got to decide either look after your children or stay with your politics yeah. so he left politics and came to Britain in 59 yes. ahead of us and six months later he had saved enough money for us all to come so you were about 12, 13 at this yes, point yes about that 12, yeah, 12, yeah, yeah, 12 yeah, years yeah. of age yeah. so you come to the UK uh, to a UK that's very different to the UK now yes uh, tell us about that experience and, and how you found that. Well, I think when we, we all came by boat, mm. the first thing that hits you is the cold. You're sort of puffing and you see this uh, kind of a smoke coming out of your mouth. My father <laughs> had coats ready. From the warm, hot guy, on exactly. it. Yeah, yes, like that. And we, we, we lived in Hoxton. Okay. Hoxton is not what it is today. Hoxton, Where is Hoxton? I've not heard of it. That's in East London. East London, okay. Or the Shoreditch with Hackney. Okay, yeah, that it's area. It's very much the upper crust these days. Oh, right. In my day, it was in the dumps. Yeah. Because Hoxton and that area was extremely violent. Mm. We, my parents and three children lived in two rooms. My father did two jobs, day and night. My mother, who had never worked, went to work in a handbag factory. When she arrived there, they gave her a cup with a red string. And uh, she said, well, why has my cup got this red string? So that you do not, none of us can drink from it, and you cannot oh. drink from our cup. So a, a British form of caste system, I was, yeah. Well, it was racism. Right, yeah. She was the only Asian. Only Asian Within yeah. six months or so, she attempted suicide. She couldn't live oh. with the racism and the abuse. Was, yeah. At school, the first week at school, my brother and I were beaten up every day. Yeah. On the Friday, it was snowing. I was lying on the ground. Boys were stuffing snow down my mouth. The headmistress simply walked over us and walked away. Mm. So we're the only two Asians in inner city schools. And in those days, those schools were violent atmospheres. There were school fights, yeah. bicycle chains, bats. 
and it stormed with each other. Yes. So my brother and I learned to retreat. We had no one to talk to, no friends. All we could do was to survive every day in a very hate-filled environment. Yes. That sounds hugely traumatic, and and we certainly know that you know in 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 Britain in the 1960s, you know, if people went to to um, say rent a property, then there were signs that said, you know, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs, and no one other word, N word as well. Oh. They use often the N word. Okay, right. Yes. Wow. So it's a very traumatic upbringing for you there in the UK in the nineteen in the early 1960s. It wasn't really no because. Uh, we Asians are very resilient. We had each other. Okay. So you see, our family was very, very loving. So yeah. although outside we may all be rejected and hated, in the home you knew we had wonderful parents who did everything they could to look after right. us and to love us and to care for us. And wonderful. I think when you have got such a strong family, you can face virtually anything. So none of us grew up hate-filled, Distorted, right. needed psychiatric hospitals. None of us did that. We were very strong yes. in ourselves. So the power of family love and yeah. family ties. Exactly. Yes. Wow. And Asian family life, in, in my context, was much more. Muslim. Did you yearn back to go to Ireland? Or, or did no, because those of us who left, yeah, w it was a break. There it was, was a break. Never, it was a clear. Yeah, it was a clear And break. obviously, with, with, without you know, with, with, with technology being as it was then, mm -hmm. there was no connection. That no, that there wasn't because how you were telephone, but you couldn't yeah. do that. Nothing. That and not only that, father said to us, you know, I had fought the British, but they now let us into Britain. Okay. okay. From now on, we assimilate because that was the word used. Yes. Become British. Be proud of it. I never once do anything to hurt this country. That's wonderful, so yes. we therefore gave the whole of our lives to this new to country. So, they, so, that, so let's just picture this a bit. So there you are with this mixture of Hindu, Muslim, um, as it were, uh, teaching and understanding. But essentially Muslim more than anything else. Essentially Muslim more than anything else. Yeah. And your view probably of white people is very much that they're very racist and are against you. And you... I'm sure you perceive them as Christian. I did. I, I saw Christianity as a racist, brutal, barbaric religion of the white person and of the English. That was my, my view growing up. And so my, the fascinating question to ask you is that you yourself became a follower of Christ yourself in 1964. Yes, yes. That's, that's only about five years after coming. Yeah, yeah. And so you were about, what, 17? 17. At, 17 yeah. at that point. Yeah. I what happened? How did that happen? I, I used to play sport. I, I loved uh, uh, football on a Sunday. I got into a team in the Sunday league, and I got a, one of those scissors tackles that took my knees away. Right. So it meant that I was now in bandages, and I, I couldn't go off and play football. And I heard a knock on my door. Went, it was a London City missionary. Saw me as an Asian and tried to use cricket and things like that to attract me to the church. I wouldn't have anything to do with it. Right. He says, you know, we have a mission hall down the road. If ever you want to, here are the times, please come. Right. And after weeks, I got so bored, I said to myself, well, I remember that. Why don't I just go and yeah. see? Yeah. So I went and sat at the back, 
and he was preaching and I was highly critical of his preaching he taught that Jesus is the son of God mm. uh, you know classical Christian theology and yeah, here Jesus I died for your sins and yeah, yeah, I'm fuming yeah. and saying look that's a lot of old rot that's, that's blasphemy and when he talks about the goodness of our Christianity they say where is it I've only ever been beaten by white people who yes. call themselves Christians yes. look at what they've done to my mother and my father to all of us Yes, and really I totally re I overreacted Right. I collared him at the end but he was very gracious he simply said look why don't you come back Mm. And so for a period of six months, wow! So I, you, you kept I coming back. I kept coming back, yeah. and they gave me a Bible. It was a battered old authorized version of the Bible, and uh, I started. They stuck a, a little piece of paper in Genesis. When I got to Leviticus, I got lost. So I you gave get it yeah, that's right. So they gave me another piece of paper in Matthew and says, "Go and read that." Right. So I would read the Bible. I would pray the same prayer every day. God, if you are there, reveal yourself to me. And I would analyze the lives of the Christians to show how hypocritical they were. Yes. I would say to them, well, why do you accept me? Because of Jesus. Why do you love me? Because Jesus loves you. And these were ordinary East End people, none of them educated, many of them elderly and young. Yes. But I saw in their lives a love for compassion, something that was fundamentally different. And one day someone said, Patrick, why are you not a Christian? Mm. And I said, I am. Oh. So I don't know how I became a Christian. But, but you've been listening to the because you're very attracted. And how was it in the sense of how was it at home? Because were you, well, presumably were you, were you mixing with well, going to well, the mosque? I didn't tell my parents so no. much, I just went off. Yeah. But there's another aspect of my life. At the age of five, I remember taking a knife to myself and saying, why am I alive? Look at all the sins I've committed. Should I not fine. die? Yeah. At the age of eight, I read a massive work on the Jewish Holocaust and on concentration camps. You see, all I could ever do as a boy was to read. I, anything that I came across, I read. Yeah. And here I read this huge tome. So for me, the problem was not, did God exist? But why does he allow suffering in the world? Yes. And so when I went to school and I had a year in college, when everybody was enjoying themselves with the booze and things, yes. I was sitting under a table wondering, Vietnam, people's death and suffering, yeah. and where is God? Some very deep questions. It is. is going through that. When I found reading the Bible, I ended up with Isaiah 53. Right. And so I you got all the way to Isaiah. Like. I went back from Matthew, went back to the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, I, as, as if the scales fell off my eyes, I could suddenly understand a suffering God. Yeah. I could not explain it. But I came to realize that God is one who suffers. Yeah. And that his son, Jesus, I could now understand him. Yes. And so when I said, I am, I can't remember praying a prayer of repentance, confession, Somehow the reality of God was there. Yeah, fit in. And how old you, were you at that? So you were about 17. I was about 17. about 17. Yeah. And so, so this wasn't really with discussion with people, but this was through yeah. your own, own reading and, and immersing in yeah, the scriptures completely. more and more. And then yeah. gradually, as it were, the pieces coming together. How it came together, I don't know. Oh, yes. Uh, it just came. But you persevered on with the reading and to keep on. It had obviously gripped you. Yes. 
in, yes. in writing. I, kept, I did reach the point though in the Gospels that if I had seen Jesus down the road and I'd had rotten oranges, I would have thrown them at him. Yeah. I, I found I, yeah, yeah. I could not accept a Christian understanding. I was a Muslim. Yes. And for me, Jesus was a prophet, yes. but he could not be the Son of God. There could be no trinity, and he did not die on the cross. And, and yet, his love and compassion for people, women, children, became yeah. was strangely very attractive. And, so, and that brought about that transition over those next few months as yes. you began to read the yes. scriptures yes. And, and do that. that, yes. that that's very powerful. So, so you said so, so you find yourself saying to someone that, that you were a Christian. Mm. What happened after that? I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about where did it go from there? Well, I went home and told my mother. Did somebody say to you you should? Or no, I felt you, that you I owed it to my parents to tell them. And my mother broke down in tears. Yes. And she said to me, Sandy, you must take a decision. If you continue with this road you've taken, then you're no longer my son. But if you reject, uh, then you are my son. And I looked at my mother and said, I have followed Jesus, I have decided, and I cannot go back. Within a short while, I left my home and I became a tramp oh in Aldersgate. Yeah. Uh, so you but chose, they didn't throw you out, but, but you chose well, to. Well, they effectively they effectively said, they said, that's it. Yeah. In those days, it was still many bombed out buildings, so he stand on yes. huge areas of bomb buildings everywhere. Oh, right, okay. So I was sleeping rough with another tramp. Right. And, and your father, what, what, do you, I mean, what do your father say? No, they, they basically he, he said, just I, you know, mothers are important for us. Yes. Uh, I think what I learned in those days was the Christians who loved me into the kingdom disappeared. Oh. No one ever offered me a meal, whereas before they did, they didn't yeah. offer me a bed. Later, I heard they prayed for me, but I took sick. I, there was no food, I was dirty, yeah. and thankfully I was arrested by the police for being a vagrant. Right. I was brought before the magistrate, and I explained, and he was saying, what on earth is happening? So he called my parents and says, could you not have him back? So I went back. But after a while, I had to leave again. Yeah. So it uh, was a very unhappy time. But throughout now, I have no Christian fellowship, no yeah. friendship. So this is about this is we're talking about 1966, 67. Yes, yeah, 65. That 65, time 66. Yeah. 66. So I I I learned at that time you don't really trust Christians, yeah. and particularly white Christians that they talk about compassion and love when you're not a Christian, but when you become one, they're not there any longer. So, so the actions did, did, did not match with the didn't, words didn't. like that? I did think of death. Mm -hmm. I remember once being at a bank troop station, thinking, why not end it? And the sun, there was a newspaper that fluttered across my path which said death, and I jumped back, and I knew that was not going to be the way. But uh, it was a difficult period. Yeah. So what changed? How, how, did, you, how did you come out of that? How did you well, I decided I, I would do my mission work. I, I, I <laughs> who, yes. who told you about mission work? Nobody did. I'd get tracks. I'd, I'd go to uh, Aldersgate, uh, Brick Lane. In those days, Bangladeshi houses, they had men on shift work. Yes. And I'd give tracks. And then I said, well, look, 
you know, I want to go into Christian ministry, so I applied to Bible schools and got turned down. None of them would have me. Did um, they, what, what reasons did, did they give? No, no reason was given. And was I, it? Do you think maybe because of the because you'd been a vagrant as well, like that? Well, they couldn't understand an Asian from a Muslim background, background. and these were all you were so unique. institutions. Yeah, there was, was there was no one else. There was no other Asian person around to, to identify. And if there were Asians, they were overseas students. Yes. So there's no one who'd had that, who'd been brought up in, in the UK. And, and I, I wouldn't fit in. No. So finally I went back to LBC. Yeah. And it was Mr. Kirby. They turned me down and I said, Sir... This is, yeah, London Bible College. London, I've lost my family, I've lost everybody. Will you not take me? Mm. And he was very gracious. He said, yes, I will take you. But the first week I was sitting in the library, Annex. I was about eight stone. I was very... Thin, undernourished. Yes. And this great big white student came and he lifted me by the collar, shook me up, and said, It was not my family and us, you'd be a monkey up a tree. Oh dear. And I then realized racism, Ooh. this place here is not a nice place. I would study, work hard. Yes. I shared a room with a white South African. Yeah. who was a totally racist. My next door neighbor was Musa Gotham, who became the head of the coaching churches in uh, in uh, northern Nigeria. The abuse. So we lived yes. with abuse. and the, In a Bible college as well. In a Bible college. And in those days, you have to realize the racism, South Africa, Yes, uh, this is yeah, the apartheid South apartheid, Africa. the justification. Yes. Scripture Union did not show integrated scenes because it was created and so made in and linked to South Africa. Yes. The apartheid material was done through evangelical centers. Yes. And so we had Enoch Powell. Oh, yes, and so that oh, yeah, the rivers of blood speech. Yeah, like that. So, so yeah. what were we? And then I met Rosemary. Oh, oh you see, became your wife. Yeah. So, yes. so Rosemary was studying there. She was. Uh, she was with uh, uh, from New Zealand, and she had a flat, and she shared that with a, a person who came from a sort of very leading evangelical background. And very interesting enough, her flat was the center for what later became the charismatic movement. So, if you read the biography of people like. Terry Virgo and others. Okay, the Christian meeting to, yeah. was in her flat. Oh right. Now she meets me, and suddenly now she, everybody has a problem. So we used to get messages under our door: "Thou shalt not cross a horse with a donkey, Ooh. mix wool with flax," because in those days, right, he's taking Bible verses, mix wool with flax. Yeah, it was the system. Yes, your children were Mongols. What would you do when you got married? Yes. And so, she, although she was very bright, she had been the youngest pharmacist to qualify in New Zealand, studied law, accountancy, yes. deputy chief pharmacist of Moorfields. Yeah. She got top marks, then began to collapse. So when we got married, we had nobody. We expected wow. everybody. What year did you get married? What year was that? 1969. Oh, right, yeah. My parents, who had rejected us, stepped in. Yeah. And oh, at that food point, okay. And gave me. The so, was there some reconciliation then? Once no, but they, they, they sort of followed what we, I was doing. Yeah. I very rarely saw them, but I did tell them we were getting married. Yeah. My mother-in-law was a white New Zealander. We went to collect her 
at Southampton Docks. Yes. She looked at me and says, I do not like you. Oh, I dear. will never like you. Oh, no. And got oh. in the car. That, that was the context. Yeah. And now we have to do Christian work. Oh, my goodness. So I'd apply, preach with a view. Yeah. Could he speak English? Yeah. He preached and they no more contacted us. Oh, okay. Rosemary and I were desperate to go to India to be missionaries. Right. So we applied and then never hear. Never hear anything from them. We went to one mission. We wanted to go to the northwest frontier. We went to Bath. They put us in a room, looked at us, and then we had to leave. Nobody talked to us. So it was it was this sort of standoffish no no. Mr. Kirby, who was the chairman of many mission agencies and presidents, then saw me. I could only get a job as a bookpacker in the Scripture Union bookshop in Whitmore Street. So he saw me stacking books, and he says, Patrick, the mission agencies will never accept you. You need to accept that. Yes. They do not accept mixed marriages nor nationals. Yes. But he says, look, I'll contact the British Evangelical Alliance, Yes. And the person who taught me missions was Ernest Oliver. And so they got me a job with the British EA. But, you know, even at that point... With British uh, Evangelical Alliance. 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 I yeah. discovered that my salary was less than the lowest secretary. Okay. So so they had a very, very low opinion of you, yeah. a very low opinion of your potential. Yeah. So uh, the yeah. task I was given to do now was to firstly look at all the East African Asians that were coming to Britain to organize the relief. It was a disaster, we got 32 pounds. To travel around Britain, to look at the Asian communities, to map them and see where missionaries could be redeployed. And then to engage with the black-led churches, because at that point now the churches were separating. Yes, there were black, with the Afro-Caribbean churches. And to see, could we affect a reconciliation? Okay, so there was an awareness that, that, yeah. that, that there's separate churches for black people exactly. and for white people. So I was now suitable only to engage with immigrants yes. and black people. And I became the first secretary of a community-based organization of churches on community relations, race relations. So I cut my teeth on the foundations of race relations okay. and community relations. And making a relation. Okay, that's, one question I just want to ask you, um, this is fascinating, is what, because your name's Patrick. Yes. Is there a story behind that? Yes. When we came to, to come to the UK, uh, the, because we all had different names, when people arrived, you know, names changed. The Africans, their history was wiped out. Ah. But Indians, and then the midwives didn't know our names, how to spell. Yeah. So my name at school was Shamshir Khan. Yes, that's right. Because my father's background had been Hindu, he was a Prasad. Yes. So when we come now to get passports, the British said... So this no, is in Guyana, in Guyana, in Guyana to come to the UK. Yeah. Where, where was your history? We suddenly discovered that my father's father's name was Sukhdev. So they said, you are now a Sukhdev. So I was named, I was born on March the 17th. Yes, 1947. Which is is, uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day. Oh. My mother, who was sickly, was sent to the Catholic school, 
by my grandfather with the hope she might get better. He was a bit uh, yeah. hopeful. So the nuns gave me the name Patrick when I was born on March 17th. 17th. Then I had my Muslim name. Oh, so, so when we came, I was known as Patrick, etc. So they put Patrick down on my passport. Patrick up there with a new birth certificate. So I entered Britain with a name I never knew. Oh, and that's and obviously that stuck because that, it was easier stuck. to use yeah. that name yeah. with with the local people in England. Yeah. Wow, it's a fascinating story. We're going to carry on the story, but I think we're going to, as it were, close this podcast now. So if you're listening, do listen on for the following podcast that we're going to have that's going to really look into much more detail about... It's going to carry on the story. We're now into the 1970s mm. um, as to how God used you. And I think to close, I mean, one of the things that's really striking me is that in spite of all the racism and problems that you had with with the host culture in Britain, you still held on to Christ. And it was, and you were able to distinguish that although mm. you were being badly treated in an unjust way, that Christ and who he is and what he's done is more important. Do you want to say anything about that as we close? On, at this, at this I point? think that's been the story of my life, really. Is that the, the image, for me, my faith is based on Christ. Yes. That's all that I have. I remember once disciples saying to Jesus, you know, he, Jesus saying to them, you will you leave So saying, who, who thinks of this? Disciples and Jesus. Jesus, yeah. And will you also leave me? Yeah. And uh, ultimately, all we have is Christ, and if we leave, yes. we can't leave him. Yes. And uh, I think because my faith is Christological, and that's the centre. Yes, Jesus is the centre. It's all for him. It, everything It's, it's all about him, basically. It's peripheral. Yes. And uh, whatever the pain, the suffering, I keep that vision of Jesus and his cross. And for me, his cross is essential. I have a cross, and I, I look at it, and it leads me back to him yes and uh, well, what can one say uh, life without Christ would have no meaning. meaning so does it matter about the church about Christianity all for me all for that is has never been a relevancy because no. I've never had it and so it's trusting that in spite of all the things apparently to go wrong that God still has a plan in the same way that he had a plan for Jesus in the sense no Jesus. I don't think I've ever seen life that way I don't see life as God having a plan okay a yeah. purpose uh, if I can survive today, I'm happy. Wow! So I I can only live. So you're trusting that he you're trusting that he'll he's going to work it out in some way. Because life has been, I cannot tell you how difficult it's mm. been. Uh, we, we've Over been hearing years. something of that, yes. And having lost family, losing yeah. everything, just to survive one day is sufficient. So, my verse on leading is in the Psalms. I being in the way, the Lord led me. Okay. I, I can only. For today, yes. this is where he has led me. For tomorrow, I have no tomorrow. I don't know what it will be right. like. So I, I lived about day by day. Wow. Yeah. Patrick, thank you so much for opening up to us about your about your past. We're going to carry on this conversation um, into the 1970s and, in a sense, how God has led you um, to setting up Barnabas Fund and, and, and the work that you're doing. So do listen in to the, our next episode. Thank you.
you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com. And could you do us a favour? Head over to iTunes to rate the programme. This is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most. Also, do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to? Don't forget to check out the blog for more great content. That's drsunil.com, helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time, goodbye for now.